0: So, we are continuing a series called 2020. This is the third message. And the premise of the series is that it's impossible for you and I, as human beings, to live effective lives, to, to live the most fruitful life that we can live, unless we have a very clear picture of what is true, what is real. Uh, we've said from the beginning that only the infinite creator can really tell us what is true and real about life. We're finite, you know, we, we see small fragments. But God has been gracious to reveal to us the truth about himself and the truth about life so we can see the whole picture of what is reality and therefore adjust to that and live um, effective, intelligent lives. Now, we've kind of started this series by saying one of the processes that God wants to take us through is to, to look back to our past. We, we have to look at our past, process it with God, or else our past will become our present in ways that are not productive. And so that was the first message. Second message, we looked at our present. Who are we now? Now, today we're going to look at who are we becoming? Because each of us, as we sit here, we're we're in process. We're always changing. We're not the same person that we were 10 years ago, nor who will be 10 years from now. Now, there's a group of people, very serious-minded people, scientific people, who want to help the human race in their mind's view to becomes something very different than what human beings have ever become before. So when they look to the future, they're, they're seeing possibilities about human beings that no one has ever dared think of before. So I wanted to just share a little video clip with you. In recent years, astonishing technological developments have pushed humanity toward far-reaching morphological transformations that promise to redefine what it means to be human. Among these is a growing intellectual and cultural movement known as transhumanism. The transhumanists plan to use genetics, robotics, artificial intelligence and nanotechnology as their tools for reshaping and radically redesigning our minds, our memories, our physiology and even our offspring. When I first heard the word transhumanism, like a lot of people, I was a little overwhelmed. Was this science even possible, or was it just science fiction? It was immediately clear that if this technology were in fact real, these developments might lend themselves as an aid to humanity in the ceaseless battle for health and long life, but on the other hand, something in my gut sensed that there could be another side to all of this. So to answer the question, who are we becoming, there's a group of very serious-minded people with lots and lots of money, lots of intelligence, and they see us becoming sort of a a mixture of technology and humanity as the next step of human evolution, that we would no longer be just human beings as we've known ourselves, but human beings almost without any boundaries, uh, where anything is possible. You notice that they mention two or three times, living forever. There's a guy named Ray Kurzweil. Uh, A lot of you are probably familiar with him. He's the uh, director of engineering at Google, also one of the most uh, renowned inventors of our lifetime. And Kurzweil says, we're just a few scientific breakthroughs away from achieving eternal life. Transhumanists are very serious. They're, They're talking like in the next 20 to 30 years, they believe breakthroughs will occur that will enable through technology to keep a human being alive literally forever. And this is a fascinating thing because, you know, God originally created us in his image and we were meant to be immortal beings, but we sort of threw away our union with him and with that, our immortality. But now human beings that want basically not much to do with God, if anything, they are saying with technology, we can become immortals once again. So, That's their idea of the future, and it's not, frankly, that far from God's idea from the future for human beings. The only thing is that they're looking at it apart from Him, and the Scripture always puts God in the center of our future. So let me start by asking you a series of questions questions that may initially seem a little bit unrelated. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand yet, because there's going to be a time, and I will, but I'm just going to ask you to do a little mental checklist as I go over these questions. Question number one. If I were to ask everybody in here that feels confident that they are leaders, they were born to lead, God's given them leadership ability, they know they're a leader and they're ready to identify themselves as leaders, just in your, your mind, remember, checklist, how many of you would stand up and say, that is me? All right. Second question. How many of you in here have ever had somebody ask you for your opinion or maybe some counsel or some advice. How many of you have ever experienced that? Yes or no? Check that off in your mind. All right, how many of you in here have children and have, you know, partaken in raising children? Once again, check it off. Yes, no. How many of you have ever taught Anyone, anything. I mean, it can be anything from this is how you wash dishes or this is how you mow the lawn or or it might be something far more technical than that. How many of you ever taught anyone anything? All right, now tuck all that away because I'm going to just suggest that the first question I ask about leadership, there would have been some, if not many of us, that would not have felt at all comfortable standing up and identifying ourselves as a leader, all right? I'm going to assume that, but the very ones that would not have felt comfortable identifying themselves as a leader, they may have checked off those other things that someone has occasionally asked you for your opinion or your counsel or advice, and you gave it, and maybe it even worked out. You probably might have had children, raised children, which requires lots and lots of leadership And probably you've taught somebody something somehow, which is, again, one of the functions of leadership. So even though you may not have thought of yourself as a leader, you have had experiences in life. Every human being has had experiences in life that show there's something deep in our spiritual DNA that moves us, enables us, compels us to some degree to lead. Tuck that away. Now I want to ask a question This, in this regard. If you could go into the eternal dimension, you know, if I could take you fast forward into the future, take you into the eternal dimension, the very kingdom of God where God himself is enthroned, where angels are there, where perfected humans, where there's, you know, Everything that eternity will have. If I could take you there, give you a week to live there in that realm, in that dimension. You experience it. You taste it. You touch it. You see it. You know of its firmness and reality. You see stunning beauty that you can't even really put into human language. And then I bring you back to earth. How many of you believe you would be very, very different Christ followers and that your level of commitment would probably be very elevated. I'm just curious. Now I am asking for hands. How many think if I could take you there and bring you back here, how many of you think your devotion to Christ would go up? Can I see your hands? It's like that in all three services. Do you know what that means? You think about what you're saying? You're saying you're not really sure that that realm exists. You're not really sure that it's there. And you're not really sure that you're gonna be there because when we're sure, we would act out on that reality. In other words, you're saying, if I could go there and see with my own eyes and experience it with my senses, I'd come back a different person. And so what I wanna do is give you a chance to go there right now. I want to ask you if you would be willing to open your heart, your spirit, ask God to help you in this, and if you choose to join me on a journey, I'm going to take you to that eternal place, let you see it, let you sense it, let you experience it in the hope that it will forevermore affect you for the rest of your life. Anybody in? You want to go? All right, here we go. Turn in the Bibles near you on the chair to... Page 1398, or your own Bibles, or the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Yeah, we're going to take a spiritual journey. Revelation 21, it's the next to the last chapter in the Bible. It's the last book of the Bible. Page 1398, this Bible's near you. And we're kind of going to start pondering this question about clarifying our future. What am I being prepared for? Because God is actually seeking to prepare us for our future. Here we go. Verse 1. Then I saw a what kind of a heaven? A new, brand new heaven. And a what kind of an earth? New earth. For the first heaven and earth had ceased to exist. And the sea existed no more. Don't worry, fishermen. There will still be lakes and rivers and streams. And I saw the holy city of New Jerusalem descending out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, the residence of God is among human beings. He will live among them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death will not exist anymore, or mourning or crying, or what's the word, pain, Pain. for the former things have ceased to exist, and the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making all things new, then he said to me, write it down, because these words are, what is the word, Reliable. reliable and true, You've just been there. You've just been taken there in your spirit, if your spirit is open to receiving it. Because God said this picture of this place where there's no more sin, sorrow, pain, or death, there's no more mourning, there's no more crying, there's no more pain, there's no more death, that this place, this vision, it's reliable and it's true. It's reality. And you have a God-given capacity to see this and sense this in your spirit, And for it to become a governing reality should you and I keep it to the forefront of our minds. And that's what God, of course, intends us to do. It's no different than if we could be literally transported, stay there for a week and come back. We have been transported now. The only question is, is will we by faith keep ourselves with this as a governing reality? Because that's the place... That's the place and that's the future that God is preparing you and I and every Christ follower for. Now, I want you to think about something. How do you get a place like that? I mean, it says there's no more sickness, sorrow, pain, or death. There's no more crying. There's no more mourning. How do you get to a place where there's no more pain, no more mourning, no more crying? I mean, human beings are crying all the time. Human beings are mourning all the time. Human beings are experiencing pain and giving pain all the time. People down here, man, they don't always tell the truth. They're not always nice. They're not always kind. They're not always gentle. Sometimes they're rude, crude. Sometimes they're violent. Sometimes they, they try to take what is not theirs. I mean, we could go on down the list. You know it's true. We have locks on doors for a reason. We live in a very dangerous world. How do you get to a world like that where it's impossible for there to be pain anymore, for it, for it to be impossible to be pain It would mean that it's impossible for there to be something that God calls in his word sin see, sin is not just something that God thought up to kind of spoil our fun. Sin is God saying, listen, I designed human life in such a way that it cannot work if this element is allowed. This element is a spoiler. It's a contaminant. It's a poison. And this realm exists because there are humans that will be there and angels, angelic civilizations that will be there. And all of them have one thing in common. They trust Christ entirely. They love him, they love his will, they love his word, and they will never, ever again have even any temptation to ever want to forsake his will, forsake his word, or in any way, shape, or form disobey him. That's how you get there. That's how that world... you and I were all called and meant to be in that world. Now, you have to understand the people that are there, they have free will, just like you and I do now. You have, I have the capacity to do good or the capacity to do evil. The people in that realm that are already there, and we, when we get there, we'll still have that same capacity. But we will have learned lessons in this life that prepared us to be there and to be in that condition. So when we ask the question about who am I becoming and what am I being prepared for, I want to take us back now to the book of Revelation chapter 2. It says, to all who are, what is the word? Victorious. Now now that's a kind of a churchy sounding word. It's like, so what is victorious, man? Oh, victory in Jesus. You know, I mean, what does that mean? We say these things, but what do they mean? This is one of the wonderful truths about God's word often if you read it carefully it interprets itself watch how this happens to all who are victorious what does victorious mean those I'm put to those in who obey me to the what very, very, end. very end the victorious are those that obey Jesus to the very end of their lives that's what it means to be victorious nothing more nothing less so to all who are victorious who obey me to the very end now look what is waiting for these individuals to them I will give what authority power all right authority but authority over who authority over all the nations wait a minute Randy (laughs) you try to tell me I'm going to rule over a nation or nations I mean Randy I wasn't very good in school and you know, I'm, I'm just an average sort of a person. And I don't even like the idea of having authority over somebody. But you have probably had somebody take your advice occasionally or want your perspective. And you have probably taught somebody something at some time. And you likely have raised kids. You have a leadership, a God-given leadership capacity in you. And God is going to someday bring it to a level that that you and I can hardly imagine. But you say, nations, there's not going to be any nations in eternity, Randy. That's not true either. Because right here in the book of Revelation, it says that there's going to be nations and they will reign forever and ever. Meaning those that are Christ followers will reign over these nations forever and ever. In Revelation 21, verse 24 and 26... When you're in the eternal state of things, once again, nations and kings or leaders of nations are mentioned. Nations are going to be forever. There's going to be not just nations of humans, but probably lots of different nations and angelic civilizations. Listen, let me share a little truth with you that just blew up in my head a few months back. There's a time coming. You can read about this on your own in Revelation chapter 20. By, By the way, you third service people, you get the best messages because I have a little more time to play with. Revelation 20, you read it on your own sometime. When Jesus returns, he's setting up his kingdom on this earth for a 1,000 years. During the 1,000 years, it's going to be a very different place, man. His will is going to be done on this earth. It's going to be a place of safety and longevity. And people are going to multiply and have children for a 1,000 years just like now. Listen, it took up until 1850 to just get 1 billion people on the planet. But we have about 7.5 billion people now. Even if the tribulation period wipes out half the population, which Scripture says it will, you're still going to start that millennial time with three billion people three billion people for a thousand years under pristine conditions it is easy to see at the end of that thousand years or during the thousand years there might be hundreds of billions of people that will be born many of which will joyfully trust in Christ and follow his loving leadership and they will live in nations but we the first followers of Christ will be leaders, servant leaders of these nations, and you, believe it or not, you think, but Randy, I'm just a simple person. I know. I am too. You're being prepared for that kind of leadership in this life. You're being prepared for it. Let me show you another one. The book of Romans talking about our future, Romans 8, 29, it says, God knew from the beginning Who would put their trust in Him? He didn't cause us to put our trust in Him, but He does know who will and who won't. He knows there's some people that no matter how many times they have an opportunity to put their trust in Christ and become His follower, they won't listen. They'll never want to. They just choose not to. But He also knows that some will put their trust in Christ and become his follower. And he knew in advance. He didn't cause it, but he knew in advance. God knew from the beginning who would put their trust in Christ. So he chose them, the ones that do put their trust in Christ, he chose them and made them to be like who? His son. That's Jesus. You and I, and we've seen this in other truths in Scripture many, many times in the New Testament, we are destined to be transformed to the moral perfection, the moral character beauty of Jesus. That's the kind of spiritual DNA that is in us, and that's who we are meant to become and ultimately will become. So he chose them and made them to be like his son. Christ was first, and all those who belong to God are his brothers or brothers and sisters you see the scripture teaches when Jesus returns that's called the first resurrection you can read about that in Revelation 20 as well how many of you are interested in reading Revelation 20 because you never read it before how many of you are interested in reading it now you ought to you can read it in about 10 minutes or so Revelation 20 the first resurrection that's when Jesus returns when he returns he's going to instantly transform us into his image all the switches in these brains of ours that are not connecting now they're all going to be connected up and Each of us will be more brilliant by far than the most brilliant human being that's ever lived. Not only will we be transformed in character, we will be transformed in our competence capabilities. And all that happens when Jesus returns. But we will be transformed in his image. We're destined to be like Christ. I love what C.S. Lewis said. He said, remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to May one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would strongly be tempted to worship. He's talking about once we are transformed to the image of Christ, we will be beings that are so beautiful, so spectacular, that if we were to see it now, we we wouldn't know what to do. We would fall in awe before such beings. And he says that's true of we that are just very ordinary, and in some cases, to some people at least, uninteresting. That's the kind of transformation that God's going to bring. Now, now, this future that God is moving us toward, that he's preparing us for, it's meant to give us hope. Now, hope is a word that, that we've kind of changed the meaning of today in our society from what the Scripture used it. When we f- say hope, we mean like, well, I, I hope it'll go well when I go to work tomorrow. That means it's uncertain. We're not sure if it will or it won't. But we hope that it does. That's not how Scripture uses hope. Scripture uses hope the way I did back when I was in school. I didn't like school. Anybody with me? When you were in school, man, I didn't like it at all. Anybody else not like school? I didn't like it. Um, So I was one of these kids. I would be looking at the clock, you know, so like it's it's 12 o'clock, and I'm looking because I know at 3 o'clock, I get out. I'm released. I'm free to run the streets and head to the playground. And so my hope was to endure until 3. Now, it was certain they were going to release me at 3 unless I got in trouble or something. So... My hope was sure. It's just like when I got in school in September, I was hoping for my Christmas vacation. That was about a 10-day vacation. I knew it was a certainty. When I got to Christmas, I get 10 days off. So I was hoping for it. I was enduring until I got there. Then after Christmas, I was hoping for what vacation comes next? You you see, back in my day, we called it Easter vacation. You call it spring break today because you're afraid of offending somebody. But it's Easter And that gave me another 10 days of freedom. And then after Easter, you know what I was hoping for? Summer. But you see, these were certainties. And these certainties gave me (laughs) endurance to endure school because I didn't like school. That's the way scripture uses hope. It's a certainty that gives us power in the present to endure circumstances we'd rather not have to go through. Let me show you some verses about this. The centrality of hope. Hebrews 11, 1, it says, now faith is being sure. Notice that. It's sure of what we hope for. I was sure Summer was going to release me into the streets for th- two and a half months. Being sure of what we hope for. Being convinced. It's, it's, a, it's an inter- internal reality. Convinced of what we do not see. Romans 8, 25, it says, but if we hope. For what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with, what's the word? Endurance, just like I endured in school, waiting for summer. First Peter 1.13, it says, Therefore, get your minds ready for action by being fully sober and set your hope, how much? Completely. Pause. We tend, we tend to put our hope in person, places, and things. And that's okay, but as long as you, you adjust to the notion that those things may or may not come to pass and they may or may not be fulfilling because we all know what it's like to get what we want only to find out we don't want what we got. If you're sitting beside one, don't, don't look at them. But we know we know what that is. <laughs> Therefore, get your minds ready for action by being fully sober and set your hope completely, complete, says, uh, count on this as the answer to everything you're looking for in life, completely, on the grace that will be brought you when Jesus Christ is what? That's talking about the second coming of Christ. That's when the first resurrection takes place. That's when you, if you're a follower of Christ, receive your resurrection body. That's when the lights are all turned on upstairs. That's when you're transformed character-wise to the image of Christ. That's when you start participating in this millennial rule over the earth that will lead into the eternal rule over nations forever and ever and ever it says that's what we're to hope for that's what's to be the anchor in this life if you wish in hope in person place and things you're going to be disappointed a lot of times so we're told that this hope is a critical thing and God is preparing us for this future and he wants us to possess it now as a governing inward reality that enables us to endure the things that we don't exactly enjoy during this life. Listen to what Tali Sherat says about hope. She's a neuroscientist. She argues hope is so essential to our survival that it's hardwired into our brains. Arguing it can be the difference between living a healthier life versus one trapped by despair listen to these words from daniel gilbert a harvard psychologist he says uncertain an uncertain future leaves us stranded in a what an unhappy present you see we we, we humans we need us we need certainty we need to know that the future is good and you cannot say that in this life because you and i we, we don't know what's awaiting us tonight when we go home we don't know what's waiting us when we go out that door we can't say for certain but we can say this is for certain Because Jesus actually rose from the grave. The evidence is compelling, and he promises that all that have trusted in him, he will bring together with him for all eternity. So this is a hope on something that is a certainty, and that we can anchor our souls on. So what am I being prepared for? Believe it or not, you're being prepared to be a leader a servant leader for all eternity. You're, you're being prepared to be a leader over peoples and people groups forever and ever. And you're going to be thrilled and blessed by that. Just curious, how many of you, when you gave some advice to somebody or you taught somebody something, a skill, it might have been the simplest skill or the simplest pe- per, people, per, simplest piece of advice, <laughs> easy for me to say, you kind of felt kind of good about it. it just You don't know why, it just felt kind of good. How many are with me on that? Yeah. Magnify that a thousandfold in eternity. We will be servant leaders like Jesus, bringing blessing all eternity into the lives of others, and we will be blessed because of that. So that's what God is preparing us for. But now, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it's going to get very practical. How, how is God preparing me, you, us for that future? That future position of of eternal servant leadership, how is he doing it? What what is the process involved? Now I'm going to ask a series of questions again. How many in here, I wonder, might be right now going through what you would call, it's kind of hard times right now. I mean, it might not be the worst time you've ever been through. It might might not be by any means the worst time, but, but it's not a great time either. It's kind of unpleasant it's kind of painful. It might not be the worst. Then again, it might be the worst. You might be going through the very worst, the most painful time you've ever had in life. But a hard time doesn't have to be that bad. It's just unpleasant. It's painful to some degree. And maybe, maybe some of you, you're, you're even at that place where you, you're like, you're just throwing your arms down in frustration. You're saying, I just don't even get it. This just, uh, it just doesn't make sense to me to be going through this in any way, shape, or form. I don't understand it. I don't see any good coming out of it. It's just just frustrating, and I can't see any reason why, and you might be this close to saying, and I don't see why God would allow me to have to experience this and put up with this or go through this. Maybe you're that close. I'm not even going to ask you if you've ever done that or been there before, but that's where you're at. If you're going through hard times and you're maybe on that edge that I just described, I, I promise you something. God's about to open a door for you. He's about to put a key in your hand. I'm going to put a different where you can open a door that will change your perspective on hard time circumstances, painful circumstances, unpleasant circumstances for the rest of your life if you will allow him. If you will open your spirit once again and take this deep into your soul and trust it and believe it for the rest of your days. It'll not just transform your life. It will give you a tool to transform your circumstances no matter what. They're in. Randy, you mean you, I can change them the way I want them? No, 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 no. I mean you're going to transform them up here in your own mind so that they cannot penetrate your soul with woundedness in the way that they have in the past. You want the key? It's not, it's not going to be easy. You, you, you want the key? I'm going to ask permission on hands. Hands, you, you, you want to you know this. You want the key. Let me see your hands. All right. All right, here we go. Hebrews chapter 12. Excuse me. We'll start with 1 Timothy. I, I got ahead of myself. All that I just said, let's do that. Let's go backwards, Mick. Let's, let's give me Hebrews 12. Put up with, what does it say? Hard times. We just talked about hard times. Hard times can be a lot of different things. Put up with it. This is God, your loving Father. Put up with it. Why? God uses them, hard times of all different kinds, God uses them to do what? To train you. We know what he's training us for. He's training us for eternal servant leadership, authority over nations, peoples, leading people into blessing. Put up with hard times. God uses them to train you. He is treating you as his children. What children are not trained by their parents? It goes on. No training seems what? Pleasant at the time. In fact, it seems what? Painful. Not pleasant, painful, hard times. But later, later... It produces a harvest of godliness, meaning God like character, Christ like character, and what else? Now, there's the key. Let me tell you something about this. If we embrace the training, ironically, you can get to a place, trust me on this one, you can get to a place where even though you're still in the same circumstances, they haven't changed, they are no better. You have something that has occurred inside of you that they cannot penetrate and steal your peace anymore. You say, Randy, I don't know that that's impossible. Trust me, it's possible. Oh, trust me, it's possible. It's real. It's God's intention. It'll produce, if you wait, it says you've got to go through a time, but later, later, that's a time period, right? So you stay under it, but later it, it, on, oh, it produces a harvest of godliness, godlike character, Christ-like character, and peace. It does this for those who have been what? Trained by it, which means we can rebel, we can reject it. We can say, to heck with you, God, if this is all you're going to do for me, then I don't want anything to do with you. Or we can get bitter at everybody and everything around us. and We can be those old cranky Christians. I mean, you know, to be trained by it means I'm I'm saying, God, I get it. All this stuff I've been hating and resisting and wondering if you were mad at me or if maybe you just dropped me altogether or you were punishing me. Now I understand. You didn't cause this stuff to happen. But if I'll... If I'll allow it, it can be training. It's meant to to impact my character in a positive way. It's meant to train me, equip me for that future that you intend for me. Think about it. When, When people go through hard times, sufferings, difficulties, they tend to be far more gentle, humble, compassionate when it comes to other people. Everybody knows if you're going to have a boss, you'd rather have a boss that worked their way up from nothing, that has all the same struggles, all the same challenges that you have. You don't want somebody that their mom, their dad owns the company and they just put them, you know, over you and they've never experienced a a day of difficulty in their life. You know a person like that's going to be difficult to work for. You want that person who's endured difficulties and yet not become bitter, but they've become better it's a powerful thing let me go to that next one second Timothy and then we'll go back or uh it says if we remain faithful even in what that's a that's a conditional promise there when you see that word if it's saying if it means I may not remain faithful if we remain faithful even in suffering that's what we were just talking about we will also what does it say Rule with him. Oh, that's where we started. Rule with him. You got to believe this. You were destined to rule. But for you and I to be fit to rule, I need God to do some deep work in my soul. And he wants to do that deep work in this life. In this life is where the training goes on. If I remain faithful, now let me tell you something when you go through suffering, when you go through hard times, when it's painful, when it's not pleasant. The temptation is, is to do anything we can to ease the pain, anything we can to escape. For Some of you right now, you're in a painful situation, and you know there's a way out. You can take a way out, but it's wrong. It's sinful. You know it's sinful. You know it's wrong, but you know it would at least alleviate your pain for a little while, and you're tempted to take it. You're tempted to take that escape route just like I would be, and it, we all are. You see, remaining faithful means is I don't choose sin, I stay faithful to God in His Word even when I'm suffering and it may not change. Can you accept that? What if, what if for some of us, life's never going to be real easy. It's always going to be pretty painful. But what if I know this is God's unique training regimen for me and and it's from a loving Father, and I'm going to embrace Him, and I'm going to be faithful in it. And I will wait, because I'm destined for a world where there's no more sickness, sorrow, pain. I'm destined for a world where I'm going to feel loved and cared for and respected and admired and wanted all the time by everyone, where it's safe all the time, where every day is a good day and the one after it is better than the day before. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on that. I'm going to count on that, and I'm going to accept This is part of God's preparation, and I'm going to be be obedient to his word while I'm suffering. Now let's go back to 2 Timothy 3.16. Mick, this is the other way God prepares us. It says, all scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable, meaning it's good for us. It's good for us for teaching. We don't know how to live. We need to be taught God's design. For rebuking, sometimes I need, we need to be rebuked. For correcting, we certainly all need correction. For, here it is again, training in righteousness. Training to do what is right. And it means more than just knowing what's right. It means practicing until it becomes part of our very character. Getting, getting right doing, rutted in, in our habit uh, capacity. For training in righteousness so that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every what? Good work. You see, in this life, in this life, we're meant to leave some good behind. We're saved by God's grace when we put our trust in Christ. He forgives us all our sins. He gives us eternal life. as a free gift. But then he empowers us to do good and be a blessing. So here's the question. I don't know how you walked in today. I don't know what was up here. I don't know what was in here. But I can tell you this. We all have an opportunity to walk out Understanding now that in this life, God is preparing me, preparing you, your future, God's intention for your future. You got to, you got, I know this is hard to accept. You are intended to be a leader, a servant leader for all eternity. And He's going to equip you, man. When He turns those light switches on, you're going to be amazed at how competent you become. But that's what He's preparing you for. Number two. So when you walk out, will that be forever in your mind and heart? Number two, the way he's preparing us is through his word, but also also through what we would call hard times, unpleasant experiences, painful experiences, suffering. Those also prepare us. Will you walk out of here for the rest of your life, when you experience those things that I just listed off, you'll know this is a gift from a loving father. And I will remain faithful. And I will accept the training that his loving hands see fit to bring to me. And even if in this life I end it in suffering... That will be okay. I will wait. I will wait for what is certain, for what He's promised. I hope that every one of us will walk through the doors forevermore in that condition. It will transform the way you and I encounter circumstances in life. Let me pray for us all. Father, only your Spirit can enable us to take these truths and keep them in the forefront of our minds where they continue to motivate us, strengthen us, give us courage and endurance. May your spirit cause it to be so. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.